Multiman Publishing. Can I help you? Uh, yeah, hi. Um, I was wondering when Hacapella was coming out. I helped playtest it. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Oh, Hacapella, yes. Um, you know, I don't know offhand. Hold on a second. I think Chaz might be around here. Let me check for you. I'm just going to put you on hold for a moment. Okay. Uh, yes, sir. Um, I'm still checking. Are you still there? Yes, still here. Okay. I'm. Uh, Chaz didn't know. I, I'm still checking. Hold on a minute. Okay, thanks. Sir, are you still holding? Yes. I'm sorry this is taking so long. We're just looking for that information, that Hacapella, right? You're looking for the release date for Hacapella, is that right? Yes, the Finns. Okay. Um, Hold on. Let me check. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Oh, that's just too freaky. Oh, forget it. And welcome to another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads, the one and only podcast dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world. And you know what it is. It's Advanced Squad Leader. Right, Dave? That is correct. (laughs) Are you excited? Why? Well, this is episode 40, and we are talking about Advanced Squad Leader. (laughs) Well, I'm not as excited as you appear to be, Jeff. Ah, every day is like Christmas with Advanced Squad Leader. It is. Yeah, there's always. Today is um, August 23rd, mm-hmm. 2010. Yeah. And episode 40, yep, that's a bit of a milestone. Plus the newbie-doos and the ASL extras, really, it's more than that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how many more, but we'll call it 40. Okay. We'll call it 50. Do we get a prize when we get to 50? We'll call it 50 now. We're looking forward to 50. Yeah, like the prize. So, how are you? Good, I- I did something. Uh, I was talking to somebody about the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I I referred to you as uh, my tech guy. Oh, as if you're my tech. Yeah, guy. Yeah, your tech like guy. It's, yeah. It was, and I immediately started laughing. Well, I often so introduce myself my as guy. Dave's engineer. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to really apologize for that. Some kind of ego trip or something yeah. came out there. Kind of Freudian slip or something. Maybe. Well, I, actually, um, you know, I introduce myself as Dave's engineer, and I get much better service in stores and stuff like that. <laughs> Free drinks at bars and then, everything. Then yeah. we were going to Cantini, which yeah. if you live by Cantini, they painted the tanks, by the way. This is the park for the first division. Uh, the tanks were always just green, which drove me nuts because I do modeling and, you know, gaming. and. So they have... So they have full-size tanks. They have actual tanks you at Cantini on. Park, which Correct, is yeah. in the Chicago area. And, and we had First Division Museum, and we had talked about it before on the air, but yeah. 
This summer went there and they painted the tanks with the pink ID. No, with, with flowers, ID letters, and the no, they're oh. not Indian elephants. Jeff painted them pink with oh, okay, ancient Indian elephants. Uh, yeah, with the ID numbers, the white star oh. insignia. Oh, really great. And it just bugged me that they were just plain green. But on the way there, are they still green? Yes. So they okay. So they're the same color green, but they've just added the uh, yeah, extras. Not, so yeah. they look more like real tanks. Yeah, and they are real tanks. So yeah, <laughs> they should look like real tanks. I remember when I first went there. Uh, when I probably in about 1963 or something like that it was the first time I visited Cantini Park, and uh, I went with my friend's dad and my friend, and his dad was saying, you know, there they are. They got tanks there, and I thought, oh, we're gonna crawl around inside the tanks, yeah. you know. But everything is all welded shut. Yes, I mean, you can is. climb on them, obviously, but they're all welded shut, and you can't start them up. You cannot drive them around, and you can't run over your friends. No, and the main armament is N.A. Correct. <laughs> is it the bow machine gun? No good. No. Yeah, they're permanently buttoned up. Yes, they are. And on the way there, um, Dave Timonen's son Christopher was we took him along for the trip, and he said, "Oh, I was wearing my two half squads T-shirt at school." And I was like, oh, great. And he, he said, a kid stopped and read it and then said, that's stupid. Oh. So, there you go. Well, I think we've got that on our website, don't we, for for rating our episodes. We've got... Uh, yeah, we could just add stupid as a column. <laughs> we've got this little spot on the website, as you all know, because you, you study our website very closely. <clears throat> where you can complaining about it for four I, episodes I in a row now. <laughs> well... People either don't rate it or, or they, I don't know, they're they're adding more dulls to it. In the most recent episode, there are five votes for funny, five votes for interesting, six for informative, but seven for dull. That's a, re- a new record. I... And the more you talk about it on the air, the more they're going to yeah. check dull. <laughs> I can't tell. I just got to believe that they're all just giving us a hard time. And actually, people love it. Well, Each again, and every episode. Some of it probably is dull. Each and every episode, thrill-packed, a one-of-a-kind entertainment value. And we get some great letters, but we have no letters tonight, do we? Um, no, we don't have any letters. We just have a couple of uh, shout-outs. We want to say hi to Chris from the Netherlands, who made a generous donation this week. Very grateful, Chris. Thank and, you very uh, much, Chris. It's it's especially somehow exciting when we get uh, donations from overseas. I know, the Netherlands. Yeah. It's cool. It's do, really do you cool. Know Finland was rated... The best country to live in, according to Newsweek magazine. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, number one. Wow. Finland. Wow. And, um... That's the home of Hakkapella. It is. Finland, Finland, Finland. The country where I want to be born is drinking or camping. Is that their national anthem? (laughs) Finland, Finland, Finland. It's the country for me, you're so near to Russia. So but you didn't know that song existed, did no, you? I did not know. And that is our good friends at the Monty Python. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Monty Python sings. Wow. But it really was rated the number one country, which, of course, ticked off all the Americans who think they live in the greatest country in the world. Yeah. But we were number which 11. Is, which is not true. We were, oh, Jeff. Oh, shoo. Well, it's it cost us listenership. Yeah, it's ridiculous. America is great. Greatest country yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Don't listen to Jeff. Yeah, whatever. They're all great. Stop talking. <laughs> well, they're not all great. but uh, Well, some are greater than others. Some are greater than others. We're number 11. That's pretty but, good out of a whole yeah. bunch of countries. 
But we were talking about the Netherlands. Don't you have like the national anthem from the Netherlands? Oh, I and can in, play. The it. Netherlands includes what countries, Dave? Oh, dang. Well, you're an, you're a U.S. history guy, really. Uh, it's it's uh, Holland. Yeah. It's Denmark. Uh, yes. And it's Luxembourg. She's a buxom girl from Luxembourg. Oh, Luxembourg no, was Luxembourg. next to go, and maybe even Monaco. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's from the bomb song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Belgium. Belgium. Denmark. Denmark. Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Yep. So, and Holland. Oh, remember, this is a family show, Jeff. Amsterdang. Yeah. <laughs> Amsterdarn. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks, Chris. What else? Who else oh, are we talking about? A, little, uh... a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on. You know, Aslock is coming up. Aslock is coming up. You know, really, it, it's it's a month. Uh, let me think. It's it's the beginning of October. Here, let me just pull up the website because uh, websites help us to get our information <laughs> accurate. Yes, they do. Aslock October third through October tenth. Man, that's like eight days of ASL goodness, eight or nine days, depending on how you count it. And of two thousand ten. This will be at the Holiday Inn Airport in Cleveland, Ohio. So, if anybody, if any of you guys listening are interested in having some really Great squad leader fun. Great tournament. Go to Aslock. And we think we might be there this year? Yeah, I think I'm going this year. Yep. And Dave, you think you're going I this year? I think I have the yeah. okay. Now, yeah. I did not have put it on the calendar yet, so... That'll make it official. That'll make it official. Yeah. And in uh, in homage to... Homage. Uh, and the excitement of of what's coming up. We are drinking tonight Great La- from the Great Lakes Brewing Company, Edmund Fitzgerald Beer, a handcrafted porter. This is from Cleveland, Ohio, the Great Lakes Brewing Company. How do you like your Edmund Fitzgerald? That is the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald by who, Jeffrey? Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. The great, and I hear drunken, <laughs> Probably I've drank too that. much of this Great Lakes. Yeah, that's what I've heard, too. Yeah, someone saw yeah. him at Ravinia once. Well, said, we shouldn't. Oh, uh, he was yeah, oh that's hearsay. And that is all hearsay. No. Well, no yeah, Gordon listens to their show. <laughs> Let's leave it at the great <laughs> Gordon Lightfoot. He is the great Gordon Lightfoot. So this is a very good brew. From Cleveland, and we're looking forward to going to Aslock. So hope, hope to see you all there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're pretty sure. Jeff's for sure we're going, and Dave's the one that hasn't got that camera yeah. total clearance yet, but we truly think so. Yeah. So. Um, and hey, and guess what, Dave? You were you appeared in print this month in uh, the latest issue of the Bonsai Magazine from the Texas ASL Group. I did. Yeah. Which I, I haven't had a chance to read it. I'm sorry, but how was it? Don't bother. Really. <laughs> Jeff didn't have time. You need a PR to, guy to write. I do. Well, <laughs> Jeff didn't have time to write up his favorite scenarios. So that wasn't it. You know, that wasn't it. It's not that I don't have time. Oh, what was it? You know, <clears throat> it's my lack of confidence that anything that I have to say concerning squad leader would be possibly of any interest to anybody of any note. Well, see, I, <laughs> I, I suffer from the same thing, but it didn't stop me. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, yeah. Well, how, how 
my opinion about these scenarios is not nearly as valuable as like Pete Schelling, yeah. who designs them, or these other people. So well, I, Matt Matt Shostak is you Matt, know he's like ASL guru. I mean, it's, I just felt ridiculous adding my two cents. No, I think it's fair to do. Um, I just flip through the scenarios in order yeah. and did kind of a free flowing thought process. And I thought it was great when I sent it out, and then I read it and I thought. Boy, I should have rewrote a lot of this just in terms of the grammar and the, you know, I just should have put a little more time in it. So my apologies to everyone. If I ever do a part two, I will have Jeff edit it for me. <laughs> At least better, I could do that, yeah. You're a better writer. Yeah. Oh, thanks. You could do favorite starter kit scenarios, maybe. I guess. You know. I guess. For newbies. I don't know. I felt funny about it, so I didn't do it. And and I apologize to Matt. It, it certainly wasn't uh, because I have any ill feelings about Bonsai May. It's a, it's a great magazine. Matt's a great guy. We had a great interview. Great, great. Everybody's great. I love everybody. Peace and love and rock and roll. But I just I just didn't feel right. So Yeah. No, I can relate me. to that. I'm Absolutely. shy. You, you got to have more confidence in yourself. I guess yeah. so. I guess so. But Maybe I should try that, though. Just leaf through them. Leaf through Star all the ones I've played. and, and try and, yeah. Kind of like a Rorschach test where you, you leaf through it and you just say the first thing that comes to mind about that scenario. That's yeah, kind of what I did. Like, I see naked ladies. Because <laughs> I remember the cool ones. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, why did I like this one? Oh, there it is. You know, yeah. Three flamethrowers and all these right. assault troops. And, you know, I remember this being, a, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I have to, I'll have to read that one. Thank you, the bon- Thank you, Bonsai people, for all that great work. You've got some, uh, you've been playing a little squad leader lately, right, Dave? Yeah. How about some favorite scenario discussion? Yeah. What have you been up to? Um, well, this is one looks familiar, Jeff. Oh, yes. This does look familiar. I think you and I played this. This is Victory is Life. Mm-hmm. AP20. Mark Pitkevich. 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 Um, our good friend. Well, at least we interviewed him once. Very, very close friend. And I think we're in his will. I- <laughs> I'm hoping so, yes, though I hope it's a very long time. The labor of maintaining that wonderful website yeah, he does, Desperation website. Morale, yeah. and which still hasn't mentioned us, by the way, but not that I checked. Oh. Maybe we'll see him in Cleveland. That's really why I'm going to Cleveland. I want to talk to some of these people and say, why won't you at least put a link to our... Yeah, we can't put links on. He can. No, he doesn't do links, but I think he could just do like a little, you know... Yeah, disclaimer. I says, have nothing to do with the, the two half squads. No, no, just a square going, pod, ASL podcast, yeah. and put us down there. Yeah, as the why first. not? There's going to be more, I'm yeah. sure. Some real ones. <laughs> ASL podcast. Yeah. Uh, Victory's Life. This, Mark, we loved this. This was a great scenario. This wasn't was, it? A, it really was a lot of fun. We've had a lot of fun with that whole action pack that Mark yeah. put together. Really interesting stuff. Nothing, I mean, nothing really complicated, but just interesting and creative, very and creative. At some points, we in a lot of those games, I thought, oh, I'm losing, and Jeff's thinking, oh, I'm winning, and then it turns around, and then yeah. it turns around again at the end game. Yeah. So they seem balanced to us, but again, what do we know? Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with Molotovs in that game. I, I, I should yeah. pay you for those dice because I kept rolling a one. To get his malls. To get my Molotovs, and then they were very effective, I I've left a couple of your, three of your tanks as burning wrecks. From the malls and then one from the flamethrower, too, right? Yeah, one from the flamethrower did a nice job, which is very fun. So what's this scenario like? Just give us a quick rundown. Well, this was the one where the um, Axis 
have a set of headquarters staff, which are all leaders from a 10 neg 3 to a 6 plus 1, eight or so of them. Yeah. And Jeff had to either keep them a lot. Well, the, the victory conditions were a little tricky in terms of if the Russians could wipe out nine points of those leaders, the Russians won. Yeah. So it gave you a lot of variety of what to try and accomplish. So I could try and knock them out or prevent them from exiting because they counted as good victory points for Jeff. And otherwise, the game came down to a victory point game. Yeah. So if we didn't deal with those leaders, it was just a game for the, who had most points. And at that point, the um, Italians would have had to have more points to win. And so we were playing along, and then we had to stop for the night. We played it in two nights. Yeah, two right? nights. Yeah. And I added up the victory points while Jeff was gone, and I, I was like two to one, three to one. I'm like, oh, I knocked out his two tanks, and I'm really winning this on victory points. I should just pull back and hide. And then I'm like, oh, but it's going to take forever to play. <laughs> I can just finish it quick, and then we can record a podcast, and yeah. I can wipe out his leaders. And at that point, we had the close combat going with, like, half of those leaders Jeff kept in the building that I right. got in in close combat. The other half were fleeing north to exit the board. Yeah. And um, I just eventually won that close combat, right? But right. It took two times, three times, I think. Yeah, we, yeah, I think it was three turns to play And had you that. won that, the whole game goes the other way, and, you know, I'm... Just a really great game. Yeah, very exciting. Fun, very fun all the way through. So thanks, Mark, for that. And you're playing a, a game now. What is that, Jeff, over I'm, there? I'm playing a, a starter kit scenario with Mike, who did our uh, newbie do part two with me. And uh, we're playing a starter kit scenario from starter kit three, Last Ally, Last Victory, uh, which includes lots of tanks. On, well, lot, you know, first starter kit, four or five tanks on each side, which is great practice. Mike is just learning the game, and that's really good for me because I'm sort of teaching him, and we're going over the starter kit rules very carefully. And it's a nice in um, introduction to tanks. Oh, it's a lot of tanks. It's And it's a lot of tanks, but it's easy to play. And so it's, it's three boards together. And tanks come in, the uh, German tanks come in from both sides. The Russians have to defend a town. And uh, moves very quickly, and it's fun. Nice big tanks. There's a, The Germans have the King Tigers, which are which are awesome. <laughs> my, Mike has made very good use of those, leaving a few of my tanks in, in ruins very quickly. So, a uh, fun scenario. And I know in the starter kit one, there is the scenario that is like just three tanks against two or something. And there was also one of those, I believe, in Beyond Valor, Timoshenko's Pockets, Packets? Ooh, I bet I'm right. Uh, where it's just tanks. There's no infantry, there's nothing else. Oh, well, there's Puma Prowls, too. Puma so. Prowls, sorry, yeah. that's what yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah, it's Puma Prowls. I guess I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> See, you do know your scenario. I do. Oh, I do know one. Wow. <laughs> so there is one of those in the starter kit, too. It's just tanks, but you, like, this is a yeah. first tank. Yeah, you mean it's starter kit three. Sorry, There's no tanks. Three, sorry. Yeah, there Obviously, it's yeah. not called tanks. So. I like to correct you whenever, yeah. in that rare occasion so when I can. many occasions. Yeah. And I played one more scenario I'd like to discuss. Do we have the time? Sure. Oh, wait a minute. Let me check the clock. Sure. And it's called Ultimate Treachery. It was in a journal. This must have been seven, six, one of those. Uh, J76. Ultimate Treachery, designed by Laurent Closier. And it featured, was it Indochina? Not outdoor China. 
Indochina, which is Vietnam. Yeah, Indochina. <laughs> and the four and a half turns played it on a pass on a week, on a weak night, not a strong night, a weak night. Oh, you're killing me! Stop it! <laughs> you're encouraging me. I've never heard you like this. It was a knight. It was a bishop. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And, Too much fun. And it was the French uh, holding up in all these buildings. It was in a city there in Hanoi, now called Ho Chi Minh Ho Chi city. Minh city, yeah. And the Ho Japanese, Chi Minh town. Yeah. Japanese coming in. And I, I don't know if it's balanced or not. Oh, oh I think I checked it on Aurora, but I, I, I wiped them out. And Ron Schatz tried holding his uh, squads covered up with concealment as the Japanese came in for that close combat. But, boy, you know, I really learned that I was reluctant to jump into close combat when he was concealed because I get the neg two on the ambush roll. However, the neg one for the Japanese, wow, uh, on the hand-to-hand. I could still manage to get, I was stealthy, so I got a neg on the ambush. I'd often win it or no one would get it. He'd lose the close uh, concealment. And hand-to-hand with the negs and the red numbers. Also, anytime the Japanese are the attacker, they must take the red numbers. I think at some point I started thinking they had the option to take it when they were the attacker. They have to use the red numbers, which increases the lethality of everything. So, really neat. Um, It was cool to attack fast with those four-and-a-half turns with the Japanese. It forced you to... Move, move, move. Yeah. You wanted to sit back and prep, and you realized, I can't be prepping. Yeah. If you want to get a little practice game in to try and win with some rapid movement. Yeah, force you into being aggressive. Yes. Being aggressive. Ultimate track. Really important. Great scenario for that. Which I'm still learning. You should try this one. Yeah. And uh, on a whim, I looked it up on Roar, and it said the Japanese won 29 and the French won 36. So apparently I got real lucky on all my ambushes and close combats and, you know, yeah. I thought Ron was smart to try and keep the concealment, but it just didn't pay off. Uh, so on a whim, I actually entered my first Roar game. Oh, you did? And Joe and Bob are always on me. you got to enter all these in Roar. Yeah. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going through a thousand scenarios <laughs> and backlogging all this. And I'd actually just played game 1,066. Wow. 1,066. Hastings. And uh, spectacular! I'm really looking for. I'm going to celebrate game 1,111. Yeah, one one one. That's gonna yeah, be that'll be a big milestone. deal. Yeah. So I went on to roar, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, this is going to be complicated. I'm going to have to put in all this data, like my address, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, if you need help with that, I can tell you where you live. Here, give me give me your driver's license. I'll read it off for you. You know what I mean. Yeah. It, it just seemed like, oh, who needs this headache? Right. You know, I'm already... I know. We spend a, every day how many times we have to put all that information in a website and or whatever, yeah. And I, I already write up the stupid it newsletter did. that nobody in the club reads, yeah. you know, <laughs> at the end of each game session. But uh, I went ahead and I clicked them, and my name came up. I clicked to, like, enter, and it came up. I started, like, a D, and it said Dave Kleinschmidt. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy cow, this... Oh, it knows me. Knows me. Yeah. It's been following you. As did Ron Chats's name. What? So I'm like, I clicked Ron and went, Ron Chats? It's like, click yes. <gasps> so I'm assuming somebody else has put us in, right, as opponents? 
I don't know. Were in the database. I guess so. Wow. Right? So someone else must have, like, maybe Bob put me in as a game. You know, Bob beat me in this yeah. game and he put it in. So Kleinschmidt's in there. Um, now, once entered, it, it seemed to ask me again to enter it again. So I think it went so quickly, the entering process, I didn't realize I was actually done. Huh. And so my point is, it's easy to enter things on Roar. Ah. So So go do it. Go do it, except I still have the concern about Roar. If it's your first game, Jeff, and I beat you because you form a massive fire uh, stack and you run down the middle of the street yeah. against my neg three liter. Right. Should I enter that on Roar as a victory? I wouldn't think so. No, no I would think you if you're playing an uh, opponent equal to your level, then even if you're both beginners, it's valid. It, it probably is then. Yeah. Right? Because people are beginners when they start off playing these things anyway. Right. But, you know, as long as it's balanced between the two players, yeah. then the outcome should be, you know, a reasonable, reasonably balanced outcome Yeah. for that scenario. So, so anyway, that's yeah. my Roar report. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect that, did you? No, I didn't. Have you no, put one really in? caught Roar. me off guard. No, but you know what? I'm going to do that. You should, you and those games with Mike can I'll go do there. that on Sunday right after church. And so I'm actually considering going back. Through all 1,000 games. Oh, come on, so you've quickly. got three kids. What are kids for? <laughs> it went so quickly. I think I could do like <laughs> 30 a night, you know, and be through it in no time. Yeah, and knowing you, you'll start off with game one. Game one. Work yeah. my way, skipping only the ones that were really yeah. lopsided, if I can remember, from 1987. Yeah, and you'll put tiny little marks next to all your... just to show that you're keeping up. So there you go. That's a little favorite scenario. I like that. You know, we would like people to call in. You know, we've got a call-in number, Dave. Oh, that's right. We do. We have a call-in number. We would like people to use it. Nobody's used it yet. But that's because I think I tweeted out that it wasn't working. Well, it's working good now. Works real good. Working good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you'd like to call, leave us a number. uh, Sorry, uh, leave us a message. Tell us that we're dull. (laughs) You could... Yes, you could do that. You could tell us we're dull. As long as somebody calls. You could tell us we're interesting. You could tell us what scenario you've played recently. You could give us ideas. You could. There's a lot of things you could do. on the air? No, we're not going to promise that. You know, unless unless you say otherwise, unless a person calls in and requests otherwise, we may play your your voicemail on the air. So you can call in. The number's on our website. But let me get tell you right now, so you can write it down, and so you don't forget. Call before midnight tonight. Okay, let me get a pencil. Okay, uh, you don't need one. Oh, uh, six. This is area code in the United States. Six four one seven one five. The eleventh best country in the world. <laughs> Start again. Six four one seven one five thirty nine hundred, and then you dial in extension two eighteen two zero nine, and then leave us a message. And you know what I would really like? I would like people to call in and leave us a 30-second speech, elevator speech, on what they tell people squad leader is. When they meet somebody that doesn't know anything about squad leader, call in, give us your 30-second elevator speech on what is squad leader and why you play it and why it's good. That could be a great idea. Yeah. And then... We could have a contest. I think it... Yeah, like, like, remember our comedy bit contest and... Five people sent us ideas. We have never read one of them yet. Yeah. <laughs> we well, stop doing that to our yeah. listeners. Jeff. Okay, but, sorry. Um, no, it would be neat. We could play like all those in a row. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be great. And, and we'd like friends. to hear from people. Yeah. It's good to know. Yes. Not just that this show is dull. <laughs> Why are we so excited? Everybody, I don't know. 
I just like squad leader. I don't know. Easily entertained. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's me. Yeah, All open righty. open that up. <clears throat> Excellent. So now we're opening uh, one of the one of the beers sent to us by Eric Hill from Portland, Oregon. I think right. Yeah, Portland, Oregon area. So. He sent us four bottles of this really nice, interesting uh, four different kinds of beer from this area. This What's this one called? A hub. D O A, isn't it? Dead on arrival. Uh, yes. Deluxe organic ale. Organic. Wow, my wife would love this. It's a trifecta of bold flavors: hops, malt, and alcohol. Bully. The taste buds on the organic playground while the monitor blows the whistle. Really? I don't. Know. <laughs> I didn't like it when I got bullied as a kid on the playground. <laughs> but well, let me try it. That uh, the Great Lakes. I don't know. That was a little. It was good. It was good. I don't want to say. You know what? I don't think you're. It was dark. Yeah. Person as I am. Yeah. Dark humor. Yeah, you're very dark. All right, let me try this one. Organic. Dark Vader. Well, it's delicious. What can I say? I think it's a little light, but... Yeah. Okay, like he said. Hey, guess what, Dave? You what? know, I, I've got something I want to show you. I want to show you... I don't know. What's what? I want to see that. in the... Box. Oh, what's in the box? Time for what's in the box. And guess what? I've got something great here. Oh, I haven't seen this yet. I got really excited about this. This. Oh yeah, you told me you bought that. Is the is called Blood Reef Tarawa Gamer's Guide, which is isn't this fabulous? This is a magazine that I picked up. I got this at um, I don't know. I, you know, I don't really. I'm not really on the MMP website all that much. So when something new is out, the, the way I know about it usually is I'm at Games Plus, Games Plus in Mount Prospect, our local game store. Uh-huh. Where's Gra- that? Greatest had, game store in the Midwest. I had pre-ordered this, and when they switched up their website, they lost all the pre-orders. Oh, was that right? Yeah, so I didn't get it. Um, but oh, everyone, I didn't know. Uh, go back in MMP and reset your pre-orders. Oh, okay. Because they it's lost like, them. Yeah, and they can't print until they get them back in there. So yeah. I guess please help. Help MMP everyone go get your pre-orders. Yeah, fixed. and actually I did get on. I did go on their. Uh, what did I order? They're next out of the attic. Out of oh, the, out of the attic one. I don't know how I missed that, but I would really like to have that. If anybody's got an extra copy out there, I'd be willing to pay face value for it. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't think it's right. You know, people it, it buy two is. copies and then they wait till it's out of print and then they're selling them for like twice the price. He's talking about me. Yeah, well. That's how I finance our yeah, gaming, so yeah. everyone else can come and join my thoth. You know, Dave and I play Dungeons and & Dragons, and we're playing, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at playing this adventure path from the Pathfinder group, which has taken over the 3.5 rules, blah, blah, blah. They So they have these adventure paths, and the first version came out like a year ago or so, or maybe it was two years ago. The first installment came out and then went out of print. It was $13 when it came out, but you can get it on eBay right now for 200 Wow. To me, that's not right. I that's can kind of see your point, that's unless right. I'm the guy getting the 200 Well, yeah, right. Now, Heroescape, similar situation. Really? Those figures are not available. They sell for quite a bit on eBay, but yeah. the uh, I just got my new set of Heroescape figures today. I ordered from 
uh, the war store online. Mm-hmm. Good prices, quick service, and uh, their D&D uh, line of Heroescape figures. Yeah. My only, my only problem was for anyone out there that happens to also play Heroescape, which is probably like one of you out of our thousand listeners, uh, it's a, lot of, a lot of the molds, I think, are just rehashes of their D&D figures that you could get at the normal store with, you know, the D&D line of figures. So they're not like new sculpts. Oh. I don't believe. I, I recognized one or two. I use metal miniatures for my d and I don't can collect their plastics, but I recognize one or two, and I think, oh, wait, maybe all these are just, you know, recasts of their already pre-made mold. They put the statistics to them to fit them into Heroescape. Heroescape could be a gateway for kids playing the game to get into D&D. I understand their marketing ideas, but, you know, I don't like, you know, I'm not getting new sculpts when I'm paying the normal money for the figures. But anyway... Anyway, more important than <laughs> D&D or Heroescape, by far, is... Blood Reef Tarawa. Gamer's, Gamer's Guide. Guide. Let me tell you, this is a great publication. And it's no longer at Games Plus, so you're going to charge me 200 for that? No, are they out of this? Yeah, I went and looked last week. No, it's on the magazine stand. It's not with the squad leader stuff. Don't ask me why. Oh. It's on the magazine. They have oh. about five or six copies. Oh, okay. When I was there last week. I hate to go back and, oh, well, okay. I'll give more money to MMP. Let me tell that. you. Let me tell you. Look at this. Look at this. Beautiful cover. Very nice artwork. Uh, I think it's a very attractive cover on this. It, it's a pretty nice cover. It feels like a hefty magazine. You open it up. Nice, thick pages. Glossy. I mean, this is real mag- good magazine stuff. Uh, let me just read you the first paragraph here. Blood Reef Tarawa Gamer's Guide, an introduction. Blood Reef Tarawa is the ultimate ASL drama as the proverbial unstoppable force meets the immovable object. The larger BRT campaign games 2 and 3 produce perhaps the greatest adventure in the entire ASL system. Some 170 Japanese and Korean squads with many guns and tanks defend the tiny island against the fury of 360 marine squads and their guns and tanks. Large, yes, but perhaps the greatest challenge is just absorbing all of the many rules and exceptions in order to play well. Now, if you don't want to play well, you don't need this. Correct, just yeah, play. I did this. I played with Joe. <laughs> yeah, you got it and set didn't... up and then you guys quit. No, no, we, we, we went for quite, well, we went for two turns. But it took a long, I mean, it was a large endeavor, and then I, I, I was getting tired of it. But this has got me all excited. Let me tell you what's in here. The uh, contributions by um, Keith Dalton actually, actually did most of the design layout on this. But these are contributions by uh, Paul Sidhu, Tom Lavin, uh, Jim Torkelson, and uh, Oliver Giancola, and Carl uh, Naguiera. I just want to mention their names because they did great work. This is 66 pages, 68 pages of ASL goodness. Great illustrations, pictures of Tarawa. So there's actual some historical stuff about Tarawa with beautiful pictures. And then lots of different chapters of like a breakdown of the rules, uh, the historical chronology, how how to play Tarawa. By going through the rules. So for each of the scenarios, they actually list all the rules that you should study up on that you'll need oh, to know. for that scenario. For that scenario. Yeah, yeah, like, so you don't have to yeah. just grab the whole thing and try to absorb all the rules. This is like a, right. a, a scheduled 
playing learning system. Okay. For yeah, learning Because I always read the special rules in the bottom and just read those rules. But yeah. There's probably stuff you miss. Lots you know, of stuff. Unless it's in there. Um, a great comprehensive example of like half a turn as the Marines are moving through the uh, moving up onto the beaches and how the Japanese are reacting to it. So you can see how the how the landing craft are coming up and the Shermans are Is coming up and the Pathfinders are leading their tanks through. Yes, question. And do you have a question? Yes, you in the front. Green, do you have a question? Green Beach, where this they recycle. Yeah, yes, that's right. Or was that Black they, Beach, where they kill baby seals? No. <laughs> do you remember that? No. I think it was in our earlier episode. Oh, was it? On Taro, yeah. No, I don't I never listened to the early episodes. you got to go back and listen. I'm sorry, keep going. Then they have a nice chapter of uh, analysis of how the Japanese should approach the campaign game with, again, great pictures, great examples, and very good writing. I've read through most of these articles. The writing is very good, easy to read. Better. Even if you don't own Tarawa, I recommend this. It'll make you want to get Tarawa, for I, one, but it's good reading. You know, I being a fanatic, I agree with you. I, I yeah. very rarely skip a product, and I was thinking of skipping this after my pre-order didn't go through. Just, I don't know why. That's a weird thought for me, but looking at it now, I'm like, I will grab that and I'll read that. Yeah. I know Jeff did want to get us going on a Tarawa campaign, but Bob wants to kind of wait for uh, Ortona. Is that the, um, uh, the, yeah, what was it? The one in Romania or Hungary? Hungary? <laughs> yeah, no Hungary. Yeah, Hungary. Uh, yeah, I can't. Or Budapest. Fortress. Yeah, Hungary. Budapest. Yeah, it was the something Budapest like something coming. Yeah, he up. wants to play that one, yeah. which is going to be on this big hill, giant hill map, historical map. But I loved. I played all the scenarios that went with BRT and, and loved them all. Yeah. They go through uh, a lot of extensive, you know, when you play this, the uh, there's there's quite a bit of preparation to do on both sides. But especially the Japanese, they have to purchase, you get a chance to purchase a lot of different um, options for as far as artillery goes and things like that. So there's examples on things you should purchase, how you should distribute your pillboxes and bunkers and all that kind of things to def- defend the various beaches. I mean, this, look at this thing is jam-packed. Then there's a marine, marine strategy. a marine strategy that goes on page after page. Yeah, Again, you know you great pictures and examples here. It's it's just colorful. The the colors pop off the page. Sixty six pages. You know how much this thing was, Dave? Look at this. It's just like two hundred dollars on eBay. Sixteen dollars. No. Sixteen dollars. And that's not even pre oriented to get it cheaper. I no, that's buying it at Games pre-order. Plus. They never mark anything down. No, they I don't. grabbed this they up. Don't. I tell you what, MMP, this is a great, exciting, fun to read, great feeling, great layout. I, I can't say enough about it. I was really happy about it. And it's really got me psyched up to play Tarawa someday. Now, are you going to play the individual scenarios? I, I could probably go back and do one or two. I would I like to do that, yeah, very much so. You know me, I hate to go. Yeah. I have more. Move forward. I gotta move forward. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. We will finish off the um, Pikavich, and then we'll go yeah. into. We'll go back and we'll pick up one or two of these for you. And yeah. Play some short ones. And we could set it up here in the in the broadcast foxhole and well, set it up for long. Scenarios you don't need it set up. Oh right, I right. Play a, yeah. a couple of short of the scenarios to yeah. familiarize so, yourself with the rules and things. Everybody, go out and get this, order this, steal it, whatever you have to do. 
Blood Reef Tarawa, Gamer's Guide, great publication. Well done, MMP. I applaud you. I, I think we should toast them. Clink, Colonel, and drink to MMP. I told you I've invented a. a um, we're getting a little long in the tooth here, but <laughs> I, I invented a uh, a toast. Which I have invented is a that toast. Like a French toast or a? No, this is an American toast, and. <laughs> and and I, I'm hoping to get this out into the world. I want it to spread all around the world. I just think it'd be fun to introduce something into the language. It's oh, yeah. sort of a... I've heard you say that before. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a goal I have in mind. So the toast is clink and drink. No. So we want all you squad leader, all you uh, two half squad <laughs> listeners, start saying that. Next time somebody says salute or skull or cheers or nazdarovia, you just, you just respond with clink. And drink. Ah, uh, okay. I don't, I don't know. You don't like it? Uh, I'm not big into rhyming things. <laughs> okay. Hey, do you have something Excuse else in you. the box? That's for next time. Oh, okay. We can wait. Yeah, we can, we were very uh, very nicely. We will say that Nelson, our friend Nelson Asada, has sent us uh, Rally Point Volume Two Starter Kit Special. Study from the Tampa ASL group. Always so good stuff from them. We'll be talking about this next time, and I'm going to call a certain individual and see if he can be on the show with us yes. to kind of go along with this. Again, so. we have lots of interviews we want yeah, to Yeah, lots of good stuff coming too. up. What else? But. Well, Jeff. Ooh, I recognize that music. That means it's time for Box Art Review. Today... We have the lovely Red Barricades. I love box art review. Red Barricades, the historical game of World War II in Stalingrad. Ah. Have you played any Red Barricades? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, you know what I like about this box art? This is by the original squad leader artist, or advanced squad leader artist. Mm-hmm. I think it may have been his last work. I'm not sure about that. What's his name? I cannot come up with it right now. Irving Squad Leader Artist? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, but I like this red brick wall on the right-hand side. Notice how that kind of frames out the picture. It's called a framing device. And you could use a tree trunk for this thing to contain your image within its uh, area. I usually use painted wood as a framing device. And no, that's glass a different kind of frame. Top. Oh, I see. Right. Hey, I have a question. Yes, sir. Can I raise my hand? You may. Can we scan this and put it on our website and say, you know, so people know what we're talking about? Because not a lot of people are going to have this, probably. We're just going to put a link, or you're going to download a picture that you steal from some other website. Okay. Maybe we could link to Mark Pitkavich's website, even though he will not link to ours. (laughs) He cannot link. And... We have a Russian soldier. Now, remember the triangle shape that we look for in the work of art, Jeffrey? Yeah, do we have to look for that in every single work of art? You do have to. Remember, if it doesn't have it, sometimes the work, the art works anyway, sometimes not. Can I ask another question? Why don't they just just cut the canvas into a triangle so that... No, (laughs) that would defeat the purpose. you got a square canvas, and we always got to look for this triangle. Then you have to make a smaller triangle within it. Okay. For those of you who don't know what we're listening, or what we're talking about... Go back and listen to all the previous 39 episodes. And all the previous box art reviews. Yeah, yeah. 
we do notice the Soviet soldiers yeah. together form a bit of a triangle going yeah. up to the grenade hand True. and down to the right. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the expression on that foreground Russian, Jeff? Well, I will I will say right offhand, this is a very stunning box art cover. It's very beautiful, very striking. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that guy looks like he's calling out for his mama. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Looks like he's a hero of the Soviet Union, yeah. single-handedly stopping the German onslaught. Yeah. Now, in his left hand, or I'm sorry, yes, his left hand, mm-hmm. on the right side of our vision, we see the pistol, which is a TT-30, TT-30, mm. made in about 1930. Mm-hmm. Uh, this gets its name. Uh, standard Russian Soviet pistol. Mm-hmm. Uh, very historically accurate outfit. I'm not sure about these boots, though. What do you think? Do they look... It looks like um, Norwegian fishermen. <laughs> kind of big, aren't they? Yeah. Kind of big baggy boots. Yeah. Maybe that's accurate. I'm not sure. I'm sure they didn't worry too much about, you know, fit and finish. Finish? Did you say <laughs> Finnish fishermen or Swedish? The Russians didn't worry about Finnish? I guess they did worry about the Finnish. Well, they invaded Finland. Yeah. Sorry. And we have a, one of the padded tunics. Notice there's two styles of Russian uniform here. Mm-hmm. Very commonly seen in the field together at the same time. Yeah, in the and, field. And um, the... Foreground figure has the nice Russian cap. I love that cap style. Yeah, it's a beautiful cap. You you should wear a cap like I that. I have a cap wear. like this. Do you really? Yes. Have you never seen this? No, I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I have one of these Russian kind of hats. Oh no, wait. I'm sorry. It's not this type. It's it's more like the ovaly type. But I have one anyway. Huh. Okay. Yeah, you would look. Um, you know who you would look like with that. Who would that be? One second, and I'll tell you. In the meantime, in the background, we see Crouch. Bob Hoskins. Hop. Bob Hoskins played a Russian in a movie and wore a hat like that. Bob Hoskins from Who Framed Roger Rabbit and other movies. Oh, you're right. He did. Yeah. yeah. You would look like him. He lo- thanks. look. Thanks. Great. Look, no, no. He's very no, handsome. Look no, at him. he's look at not him. handsome. Look at him. He's not handsome at all. I, no, I'm editing this out. And he's a great... I don't want to be Bob Hoskins. <laughs> oh, you know who you would look like? Who? Um, Pierce Brosnan. Oh, yes. If you wore a hat like that, like you Pierce would look Brosnan like... I yeah. in one of those James Bond films mm-hmm. or something like that. In the background, we have the Russian soldier with the machine gun firing off to the right and the hand grenade in this hand. Now, I don't know about the hand grenade. It's it's not the uh, F1, which would be like a pineapple grenade similar to the American style. No, definitely not. It's more like a German potato masher. It is. Yeah, and there were some anti-tank hand grenades that looked a little bit like this, I think, and some other ones also, but I thought they had metal bases or handles. And that seems to be wood to me, so to call into question, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm sure I'm wrong. But anyway, there's the design of Red Barricades. Very nice. And Red Barricades is a. It was the first ASL historical module. Yeah. Yes, fantastic game. And covers what particular battles? Well, just the Stalingrad. The Berickety, uh parts of Stalingrad. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to complete the other part of the Stalingrad battles, you would need what game, Jeff? Valor of the Guards? That's correct. I think that's the southern or some other part of Stalingrad. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that we're going to review today also. Even though it takes us out of kind of chronological order with these game boxes, we're skipping way ahead. That must really hurt you. It does a bit. Oh, you did it. Well, I'm looking at the connection of the Stalin oh, I see. thing, so thematically it works for me. Now, do By the you way, the, on the but, uh, I'm, and I'm sorry, going yes. back to Red Barricades, can that be got anywhere anymore? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so you got this when it first came out? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep, I'm going to sell it for $200 on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're that guy. You know, we can we have to go back to, to uh, more of the old What's in the Boxes and dig out these old games. Yeah, and, and you've played most of that? I've played all the scenarios. Not, but not the campaign, the campaign game. Games, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's a campaign game come on a big map? Yes. Yeah. Very large map. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. As does Valor of the Guards. Mm-hmm. Now, Valor of the Guards artist is a D. Pentland, painted in 2001, as it says in the bottom right corner. Okay. Do you see a triangle shape in the design? Not at all. Not at all. Comparing the two, do you think they both work as well? As which one's more dramatic? Well, I think the red barricades is more. It's bigger. It's brighter. It's bolder. And compositionally, I think it's just darn more dramatic. You do have this line, linear setup in Valor of the Guards. Yeah. The Russian line charging across against a German line. But when you're dealing with horizontal lines like this, set up in three rows, it doesn't quite have the power. Now, interestingly enough, in all of these games, when we look on the side, we see the same artwork repeated. However, look at the side of Valor of the Guards. Now, let me see. Hand that over here. And I are actually together in the same studio, same studio. today. It's not just digital. <laughs> oh, no, we always are. Okay, well, this looks like an American soldier. No. Russian. He's got that oh, big, it's a Russian soldier? big bedding wrapped around his side. But look, oh, is that yeah. the same art as on the cover? Oh, yes, it is. A close-up? It's a close-up of one of the Russian soldiers. And he makes a triangle shape. Himself. <laughs> but not when he's in the big mob. When you're dealing with him in the big mob. So isn't that interesting? The art is a big, giant close-up. I've I think we should do a review of, of, like, a painting of the of the Great Pyramid of Cheops. 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 Well, yeah. It's pronounced in a number of different ways, but... Depending on the intelligence level of the pronouncer. Yeah, because, because I'll bet they have a very triangular shape there. They, they do. In their painting. So again, however, if you were in battle and you just took a photograph, yeah. it would probably look more like this. Yeah, that's true. Than a pre-planned design. Yeah. So we don't, you know, good enough artwork, fine and dandy. Uh, I think it's a little, a nice sense of realism, lots of nice smoke in the background there. Really captures the flavor of Stalingrad and of a Russian human wave. Yes, that's right. Yes, coming across, They're carrying the wave. banner, those red banners yeah. that they were, you know, always fighting for. Well, there we go, Jeff. That brings us to the end of box art review. Thank you for that, Dave. You're welcome. And the, uh, oh. you know, I, I wanted to mention uh, one little bit of sad news. Oh. And that is that uh, this is a really interesting news story about uh, Bill Millen, who was a bagpipe player. Oh, right. 88 years old. This courageous bagpipe player who played his comrades ashore during the D-Day landings. Yeah, he uh, passed away last week. Lovett's troops came to rescue Pegasus Bridge also. Yeah. 
His actions were later immortalized in the film The Longest Day. And uh, he just passed away last week, which is um, sad as we lose our heroes from World War II. But uh, this particular one, just really interesting that that he was there at at Normandy playing the bagpipes. And playing the bagpipes. Yeah. Which is is pretty spectacular. And um, we heard from Ian Daglish, who is, uh, you know, the author. We talked about his book the last couple of shows. Hey, Johnny. We've been emailing back and forth with him. um, No, but he mentioned that he said that in the Geneva Convention, the bagpipes are listed as a weapon. And so bagpipe players are considered combatants in battle. Yes, oddly enough. Yeah, which is... (laughs) <laughs> which is really interesting. So, get out well, your, you know, I'd hate to get hit in the head with those. Or that screeching sound can make the Germans cower in fear. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I love bagpipes. I do too. I wouldn't see it that way. People do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's sad, and uh, we're sorry to see him go. And we have our last interview, don't we, from the ASL Open? That's right, Pete Schelling. Pete Schelling, the one and only designer mm-hmm. extraordinaire. Had him in our sights for a long time, trying to get him to interview. Yeah. I don't think he ever would have unless we kept him to catch him there. So, as we transition to the interview with, with Pete. Pete Schelling, yes, to the sound of the mournful yet marvelous and wonderful bagpipes. Stay off the moors. Stay to the path. Yeah. Sorry, I, I was going to try to I tried to play this during my little news story about the guy, but couldn't cue up the music quick enough. Good enough. It's still marvelously yeah. mournful and wonderful. Yeah. So let's go to the Pete Shelley interview, and then we'll come back and say more interesting things. Here's Pete. And now we have the most esteemed... Pete Schelling. Did I say that right? Esteemed, yeah. Uh, in our eyes, he's a scenario designer. We've been hoping to snag for an interview. Uh, we saw him here at the tournament and made him come over. I think he's a little reluctant. <laughs> but he just is here to help squad leader players hey, understand the, the game ice. better. Would you like the official two-half squad gumball? All right, yeah. Gumball, yeah. help yourself to Turn the crank. gumball. Uh, you might win a big prize. If you get two gumballs, two it's gumballs. a... Two they're both yellow too. That's oh, a match. When did that? It's like happen? rolling snake eyes. Yeah. And Pete, uh, what's your background with squad leader? Are you an old Grogner like everyone else here? I got the um, squad leader in '77 for Christmas when it first came out. I played assorted Ellen Hill games prior, but I uh, got that for Christmas. Played a little bit with my older brother. He was not that heavily into games. He's more of the model builder type. And uh, then a little bit with some friends in high school and going on to college with the rest of it. But then I kind of kind of put it up when I got busy with real life for a while until I had, was kind of bored with real life and put an ad in the general for 50 cents a pony wanted. And uh, guys like Brett Hildebrand called me, and that's how I met Bill Hayward and Jim Risher, a couple other guys local to the northeast Ohio area. Eventually met Mark Nixon that way, got started in playtesting, and the rest is, you know, easily the best 50 cents I ever spent. Yeah. With yeah. The friends and the enjoyment of the hobby. Yeah, absolutely. Get a lot of mileage for the dollars we spent on this hobby. 
Well, if you're still looking for uh, somebody to play, we'll take 50 cents, yeah. and we'll announce it on the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so we'll do anything for 50 Actually, cents. Actually, these days I have more, more <laughs> opportunities <laughs> to play than I have uh, time to play. And I just handed him a beer ticket. Beer oh, tickets. oh, beer tickets. Uh, Dave Goldman is tickets. handing out beer tickets. I'll drink those. There's something else I can get with that. Or give oh, that I'll take both of his <laughs> tickets. Thank you, Where sir. We're team, Dave. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Dave. Okay, well, that's this has been the shortest wow. interview ever. We're right, going for, for going beer. to the bar. Let's get beat. Take a beat with free beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, what we'll, uh, as a designer... Uh, I have a lot of questions. Well, well, first, what was like the first scenarios you designed? Well, how I got into design, the first scenarios I designed were U.S. Army and the PTO. Right? When, when the PTO modules first came out and the Marines had their own module, and uh, I knew something about the fighting that the Army did in the Pacific and noticed they were kind of underrepresented, so I wanted to do something about that. Yeah. And we had the action packs coming out at the time was were being worked on. Some people like Mark Nixon and Bill Sisler were designing and play testing for that, and I took my crack at that, and uh, that's how I got started. Then you're in, inspir- and did those see publication? What's that? Those scenarios saw all saw publication. Uh, I wouldn't say all of them. What you see, uh, Highway Five in the in the it was in the old annual, I think '97. I think it's like A95. That was the first scenario I ever designed. The first one that actually got published was Shoot and Scoot, which was published in the uh, in the General. Yep, I remember that one. I think one. it's G29. Yeah, I remember. And how did you uh, learn to design? Did you just? I didn't. I just, didn't learn. I just, just kind of taught you know. yourself. Picked a picked a actual situation and read it, read about it in the history books. Always liked uh-huh. the reading part. Knew enough about the game. I think what what helped me a lot was playtesting a lot with a guy like Mark Nixon was heavily involved in playtesting the game and a lot of the early scenarios. Yeah. So he kind of clued me in on what makes a good scenario and why some of the designs are might be historically great and a good representation, but aren't going to be a fun scenario and are less likely to capture the interest of the player. So uh, having that early experience in playtesting and working with some playtest veterans really kind of gave me a lot of insight into scenario design right there okay, before yeah. I even started. That so, saves you a lot of time, wasting time doing some people may not see publication or right. be interesting to play. So without putting you on the spot, are there some things that make for a good scenario? My formula that I, that I like, that I see a good scenario, is you get the most amount of ASL in the smallest package possible. So if you get a, a scenario that has five boards in it, but you only wind up using two of the boards, that's not a very good, a very sound design on, based on that principle myself. Yeah. Or a scenario that has ten turns, but the first three are just moving around, that is a scenario I probably wouldn't want to play. Or I would chop three turns off that scenario yeah. and make it a better design that way. Because you either, either shrink the package up or put more of the game into that smaller package. So you like the scenario that's got, like, demolition charges and and OBA and flamethrowers and pillboxes and just and, and everything all in one. To play. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that is my favorite type of ASL scenario, both to design and to play. So with that in mind, are there any ones that you designed that you thought were particularly dense, where you really succeeded in incorporating a lot of those elements together? You mean too big or... Hmm? You mean too big or not too big, but just concentrated you... with the with, with the concentration philosophy? Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, probably of mine that fit that the best maybe the the Kursk trilogy, 
from uh, journal number three because all the scenarios are have a lot of t- toys to play with, mm-hmm. but don't don't take a lot of time to play. And then when you combine them together as a mini campaign game sort of thing, you add a little bit of uh, of ASL play without adding a lot extra to the game. It really doesn't take much more longer than it would take to take three three scenarios and just play them. Mm-hmm. Have you played those, Dave? The Curse Trilogy ones? Were they in the... Journal trilogy? number three. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Remember, I played all official product up to the point. I remember I play in order. Yeah. <laughs> good. I kind of play in order. I try to finish all the product. When a lot of players will pick and choose scenarios they like, I feel like I have to play them all. So, yeah, I don't remember them specifically. But Another um, good example, I think, would be uh, from the recent Action Pack, Action Pack number five, if you get a chance... To play Red Comrades, uh, a fairly small scenario, but it has a lot of a lot of stuff in it. And ironically, I have two questions from that specific scenario, which I'm not sure why I wrote them down to ask you. Certainly, maybe not on the air, but how, how do you know the level or type of the r- railroad? Was that? It, it wasn't described in the in oh, the, uh, in the historical account. Okay, all right. And then sh- shouldn't you give the um, Soviets an automatic black shit? Why did I write that? Oh, because if they don't get the OBA in, do you ever find that those kind of things make it hard uh, to balance the scenario? That was the yeah. Question. That's that, that's um that's something that re- really needs to be considered during design. The, the dicey elements such as OBA or one good leader that gets whacked early or a sniper that's a little too high. So what I try to do for situations like that is have several of those components balance each other out. For example. The, the, the Russians get OBA in that one. They might not get any use out of it, but they also get some other things like mines, like minefields. A lot of players place their mines and wind, they wind up doing nothing. But they also have a high sand. So obviously if they got um, on the beneficial end of, the, of all of those dicey elements, it's probably going to be tough on the Germans to win. But when you have several of those, they tend to balance each other yeah, out. Yeah, then the know. odds of actually right. having them all work in right. one game is right. not going to be as powerful. Right? Or the yeah. odds of having none of them work. Usually you'll get yeah. one, or, one or two of them working for you. Right, okay. Yeah, it's, I see. And then um, when when I had played um, war, miniature war games, mm-hmm. and often when they s- set up a point system for building your army, if you're buying defensive works, mm-hmm. they count as points. And, like, if you have so many defensive works, the opponent should have a third larger force or a fourth larger or whatever. Is there some kind of general rule you would use for that for the defender? Because the defender doesn't have to move as much, you know what I mean, through the open. I notice typically the attacker has more. Is there a general guideline for that, or you're just dealing with the historical setting and then trying to make it work? There really isn't a general guideline. I think if you're – I want to reflect – if a side had it – had a numerical advantage as far as number of troops, vehicles, etc. in in the actual battle. I want to reflect that, although it, it may not be uh, reflected man for man, number for number. But the defending player, if he was outnumbered historically, should feel like he's outnumbered. Doesn't mean he has to be ten to one in in ASL squads, but the game should play like, hey. I, I, I've got to yeah, kill got, a lot of these guys. Got my guys. work cut out for right. me to stop this onslaught. Right. So, so there, there isn't really a formula. I mean, there's again, there's balancing things that you put in the scenario, like a more difficult victory conditions. If a side has uh, has proportionally more tools and things to work with, you make them do something more difficult, or give them less time, or something like that. Right. To to kind of make it work. So. 
Are there periods in history, periods of the war or theaters or episodes that you're more interested in? And do you always just write scenarios for what you're interested in? I have a few favorite battles for ASL. Um, the Battle of the Bulge and Kursk are two of my favorite ASL battles simply because both sides use a, a wide variety of troop types and vehicle types. And you see different terrain types also hmm. throughout all these battles. For example, in the Battle of the Bulge, the Germans had Volksgrenadiers and they had SS. Americans had paratroopers and they had second-line infantry and all t- sorts of vehicles throughout. So that sort of battle lends itself to not, whine, to not having a lot of sameness. Some battles look the same after, after a while when you play five or six ASL scenarios. I prefer now... Most recently, some battles that haven't really been done a lot in ASL. Most, even ASL players, haven't heard or read much about the Battle of Nuremberg in April 1945. American 3rd Infantry Division versus remnants of um, basically whatever the Germans had at the time. Or even uh, one of my favorites right now, the Battle of Debrecen in October of 1944 in Hungary. You have the Hungarians and Germans on the Axis side and the Russians and Romanians coming at them. And it was a very fluid battle with, all again, all kinds of different kinds of troops and AFV types, and there's just a lot that still needs to be done. And is there uh, are there things that ASL doesn't have in it that you would like to put in a scenario, but you don't? That I would like you know, to there's put like, in a scenario? Well, you know, like there's a lot of third-party products that, that bring in elements that aren't in the MMP Squad leader like uh, PT boats and or vehicle like types that, or vehicle that sort of types thing. and I've that been sort of thing. Play test something with armored trains, but oh, that yeah. hasn't really gotten gotten off the ground that well. Most of the things I like to do are currently in the ASL system. What I'm trying to do is put into scenarios counters, unit types, etc. that aren't used in a lot of scenarios. For example, all these. Uh, Axis minor guns that you get in armies of yeah. oblivion. Yeah, that I, <laughs> yeah. Not in scenarios. Right. And they had to I be somewhere in the yeah. war, right? I, I don't know why MMP felt the need to put four of them just to represent a, a gun. They give it four counters and no scenarios. But I'm going to try to put things like that in, mm. into the scenarios rather than make new counters and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'll work on getting the existing components that don't see a lot of play into the game. Do you play those scenarios, though, that... Uh that offer maybe you don't design them, but do you play them? Do you play stuff from LFT and some of those other companies? Most that? of my playing that isn't playtesting is done at these tournaments. Mm-hmm. So I, I go to tournaments like the like the Open, and I'll play scenarios that I haven't played before, maybe on my playlist somewhere here that I'm not familiar with, and I'll, I'll be glad to play those kinds of things. But when I'm playing face to face at home, it's usually playtesting. So that, that that's where that line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most of mine has always been just playing published stuff, and then I just started playtesting for HP, and I was always kind of worried, like, oh, I'm afraid I'll mess it up, you know, because <laughs> I know some guys are good at busting scenarios. This right. was mentioned by was it Shostak or that that when you do this, you want to have people that can come in and attack your scenario and try to bust it and show a way that it's easy to be won. Oh, you didn't think about this. If I just that's, do this, that's sort of I thing always a, win. A designer needs a few playtesters like that. Playtesters are willing to tell me the truth. And, and f- where scenario is broken, what I need to do to 
to, to fix that, not necessarily in the greatest detail, but something needs to be fixed. One of my good friends and playtest partners, Bill Hayward, is really good at that. If a scenario's got a major flaw, he'll sleaze it out and find it. Oh, yeah, he's here tonight, too, right? Bill's yeah. here. Bill's a, a veteran of the tournament scene. Now, did you design the one that had the um, Hitler Youth coming out of the sewers? Hitler Youth coming out of the sewers, no. That was Axe of Defiance. Oh, I think Pete Mudge. Of, Pete Mudge did that. Yeah. Did, that was a while back. Do you know other designers that, and talk to them a lot or just kind of independent? Um, I talk to some designers a bit, but primarily... I think most designers aren't influenced by other designers, largely. The, the one designer who's had some influence on me, I call him my mentor, was Bill Sisler. Designed some of the early scenarios for the modules and early early annuals. And I think one of the most important things I learned from him is to keep it simple. Don't be writing SSRs just to, just to write an SSR. Don't put overlays on a board that... Don't enhance the play of the game, even if they might make it make the town look a little bit more historically accurate. If it doesn't wind up improving the scenario from a gameplay point of view, leave that stuff out. Yeah, yeah I know. Take kinetic, a more minimalist approach. Yeah, kinetic energy, time on target had all these special. I'll have to show you one sometime, Jeff. With tons of special rules and right. all. And I, I dutifully played through all those, but then I ran out of steam around the third issue that they had put out or, or game, but. Uh, but, yeah, it could be a, it's, a lot of people would just look at that and say, no, I'm not going to plow through all those or I don't want to dig out those overlays. or Maybe they don't even have the overlays these days, right? So. And, and I've played a lot of scenarios like that, and I think um, scenario designs like that are very important because they, they can tell current designers how far is too far. We wouldn't know how far too far is until we went there and played it and decided this, this wasn't as good as it could have been if it would have been kept uh, toned back a little bit. Yeah. And I'm not sure what their objectives were as designers, so I hope if they're listening, they don't take anybody takes that as a as a criticism. But I really have to thank them for their work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They were one of the earlier groups too, getting this stuff turned turned out, and, uh, and did a lot of counters too and stuff. I think they were one of the first. We could dig up some of them and interview yeah, those guys. They're yeah. gonna be around somewhere. But um, you don't think they're all dead, do you? No, I don't think so. Okay. I hope not. Jeff, what kind of thing is that to say? Well, I don't know. What are you working on right now? You got uh, some some irons in the fire? Well, that you can talk about without yeah revealing your secrets. Oh, we want, want to hear the, the secrets. We won't tell anybody. It's just between us. <laughs> uh, historical ASL module that I've been working the scenarios is called Slaughter at Paniri. The Battle of Paniri is the northern face of Kursk, where the Germans used the Ferdinands and. Brumbars and the Russians used the SC-152s in the oh, Battle yeah. of Paniri. Don Petros did the map and the campaign game, and I've done eight of the ten scenarios myself. And the scenarios are completed. We're working on some playtesting of the campaign game to see if we need to make any changes to the whole system based on that. Um, if you wanna, don't haven't seen the map yet, think of uh, Riley's Road meets Red Barricades, a small, dense town in the middle of uh, of fields. Great, large amounts of grain fields, mm-hmm. nice flat terrain, very bloody. And that's going to be with MMP? That, right? We that's have a contract with MMP. Yeah, because they've been that. talking about so, that, Chaz. Chaz, Chaz sorts through the, the, the projects and prioritizes them. We'll see that in due time. But uh, we decided the campaign game needed a little bit more play testing. Yeah, and that takes longer to do right. than just playing all the scenarios. But uh, and and I'm then, kind of in a... In a 
a routine of two scenarios, each for Schwerpunkt. And particularly what I'm working on, I've already mentioned the Battle of Debrecen. I'm doing a series of scenarios. Perhaps you've seen uh, SP-180 and Circle This from the most recent issue of Schwerpunkt. And I've, I've got a few more scenarios on that battle coming. How long does it take from conception to publication for a scenario? Well, I know it can vary a lot. but uh, Yeah, it can vary a lot. As soon as six months, mm. about, about the shortest time frame has been about six months. And up to five, six years. I, I don't think one's gone longer than that. If something goes longer than that, usually there's there's something really wrong with the scenario yeah. or there's just not an interest in that particular yeah. scenario. The publisher doesn't think it fits what what they're trying to do. Um, but some of some of uh, some publishers hold on to stuff, wait for the right time or, or not. Uh, that's one of the reasons I like working with Squarepunk, is because they. If I give them two scenarios, Evan will tell me, I'll put these two in the next magazine or the next one after that, and we'll keep working until then. He gives a firm schedule for publication, yeah. or two, he'll tell me if it's not what he's looking for. And your work has appeared in many different publications, though. Is that right? Um, Multiman. I think I've seen it everywhere. I don't know. Maybe I'm just... I've designed for... Let's see, annuals, journals, action packs, and one scenario in Armies of Oblivion. Uh, Schwerpunk, several issues of Schwerpunk. Back in the early days, a couple of scenarios in Critical Hit, which were in their PTO pack. Uh, the Oktoberfest 20th anniversary pack had two of my scenarios. I, I tend to do things like that, special one-off projects for publishers, or especially if it's something that's going to get played at a tournament. I'll throw them a scenario or two. Mm-hmm. So you may see that in, in further publications. And also my own publication engine is uh, it's called the Shell Shock Series, available for free on the Oktoberfest website. And these are specially designed to use uh, only the earlier components, like boards 1 through 24, uh-huh, yeah. and no overlays or fancy SSRs, so that players who maybe dropped out of the game 10 years ago, didn't get a chance to, to get every single ASL thing, but yeah. have, have Yanks and Beyond Valor could come back in and play these new scenarios. Yeah, we found a lot of new players been asking us, um, you know, what do I buy next? And I and I, suddenly it struck me, you really need to get the first journals because they were only made for the basic product that was first made. Any journal after that is going to have, suddenly you have the Chinese and the Japanese and things you won't get, so... Really, you, they, they should be looking for those early uh, accessory products. And so it sounds like those scenarios would fit a nice niche there for people. Even even new players going from starter to uh, full, right, could could grab those and Correct. be able to play it, off. It, it, would be, it would be much easier on, on the new player than some of the stuff you'll find in the action packs or, or journals yeah. of recent. And uh, do you see new players coming into the game much? I think the starter kits have uh, have formed a bridge. I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I, I've known some that have uh, some that have used to play full ASL reverted back to, to the starter kit because they didn't like uh, like all the extra chrome that they were getting with some of the more more recent publications. But uh, I think that's really one of the best things MMP has ever done, and I've I've contributed a couple scenarios to each of those. Um, what I see again uh, is. People who maybe have played some ASL and liked it and want to start 
playing again, but then once they get started, they see that it is really a commitment. It's going to take a, a large percentage of their time away from the Euro games or other war games that they still may be, may be playing. So they still say a little shy, and those are the type of people I had in mind with the Shell Shock series. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you play video games? Not many. I, I play a, a, a few computer games. Still stuck on Age of Empires and, and that oh, really? sort of thing. Yeah. The, the build management sims, I'll play a little bit of, but yeah. I, don't, I don't play much in video games or computer games. Yeah. Got to get you into it, Dave. Ah, no, no, no. Yeah. Painting miniatures, playing squad leader, making podcasts. It's a life. And D&D. Shamefully, I play Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. But hopefully Pete will forgive me for that. You shouldn't be ashamed. <laughs> It's kind of the two extremes, isn't it's it? Good. Yeah. Well, a leader in that D and D. With regard to D and D, I think there's a lot of similarities between designing a dungeon and designing an ASL scenario. It's got to be inter- entertaining. Mm-hmm. It's got to be manageable. Yep. The rules are just as complicated, really. Can't. Yeah. Three point five is. I mean, actually, Dave and I have been talking about coming up with a ASL RPG, the role playing game, squad right. leader. Yeah, squad leader <laughs> role playing game. So we'll see. It's, I still think you're joking, but you're serious. I'm right? serious. It's going to be a few months, but we'll let you know. We might need some scenarios designed for that. So you stop in mid turn, and then you have to talk to the other players at the table. Yeah. In character. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, the way I'm, I play it. So. I mean, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, do you have anything else for Mr. Sean? No, I think that's it. We appreciate okay. you stopping by, and, and we thought great it was all to you downhill and... after we interviewed. Uh, John Hill. Hill. Oh no, but we're no, going it's up. been. We're going this up. Is, today is proven. There's still many places to go yeah. with this. So That's right. we really want to thank you and for all your contributions okay. and all the great scenarios. And do you have anything else you'd like to add to the listenership out here? I would all just three tell of them. all listeners that uh, <laughs> to attend their local ASL tournament, for your regional club. If there's a, an ASL tournament you can get to, even if you don't feel that comfortable that you're an experienced player, attend. You'll meet a lot of great friends. You'll learn a lot more about the game, and uh, that'll keep you interested in ASL. And you'll get to meet Pete Schelling, maybe. He might maybe, be Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so get the four tournaments. I saw your name on the list. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> That's good advice. Well, thanks for stopping in. All right. Okay, thanks, thanks guys. Thanks easy. for the gumball. Thank you, sir. Jeff. Jeff. Jeff, what I'm are you in, doing? I'm in here. What are you doing in here? I'm clipping counters. Using what? My nail clippers, Dave. I'm clipping counters. Jeff, Jeff, we've got to get to the tournament. People are expecting I know, us. I know, I know. Our, our fan base is there, Dave, Jeff. Dave, I oh, cannot oh. go to the tournament with ragged corners on my counters. Leave but, me alone. i got to clip these. But all, but all two of our listeners are there waiting uh, to I've hear I've only got 400 counters to go. Give me... Can you come back tomorrow? No, 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 no. Here, 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 here. No, it won't take eight hours. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I'm, Remember, the C4 corner cutter. Oh, the C4 corner cutter. I totally forgot. How could you have forgotten? Here, here it is. Take the C4, Jeff. I can cut hundreds of counters. Hundreds of counters. Line them up right in there. All right. Hold that blade. All right. Ready, go. Wow. Load in another five. There you go. This is amazing. Ten more. Oh my gosh! Another ten. Can anything be easier? This is fantastic. This is a miracle. How did I ever get by without a C4 corner cutter? You ready to go to the tournament, Dave? I'm ready to go. Let's go. 
Don't let ragged corners ruin your next squad leader tournament. Get a C4 corner cutter from Counterculture. When you order, mention the two half squads, and they'll toss a dollar into the shipper. Yep, a buck in the box just for mentioning the two half squads. And there's no time limit on this offer. Something else, the C4 has gone retail, so check with your local hobby or game store to see if they have it. Speed up the tedious task of clipping counters one at a time. Get the C4 corner cutter. Less time clipping means more time gaming. And a buck in the box, too. For more info, just click the link on our show site. Oh, it was nice hearing that Pete Shelling interview again. I haven't listened to that since the ASL Open. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, great guy. Very prolific creator of ASL material that yeah. I like to play. Yeah. We like anybody that likes ASL. We do. You are all, every one of you out there, our very, very dear friends. Even dearer if we actually met you. Let's have a group hug. Probably at Aslock. You know, I'm thinking about Aslock. We'll do a group oh, hug. Yeah, then nobody's going to come to Aslock. Maybe have a really early morning, maybe do yoga something, and then maybe a little meditation. And okay, then you're scaring them all away. And then everybody take their shoes off and... They just got farther back rubs. away. It's like, now they're all going to go to the St. Louis journey instead. <laughs> Which wouldn't be too bad. Well, another show wrapped up and in the Yeah, number 40. Thank you, number 40, for being there, and thank you all for listening. We appreciate your listenership, and we encourage you again to give us a call. We want to hear from you, or drop us a line, or leave a little comment on our website. Let us know what you're thinking, and um, roll low. And rally well, but but not not when when you're you're playing playing us, because for crying out loud, we want to win. Once in a while, at least. So thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. I think you should get bagpipes. You would look very nice with the bagpipes and then the Russian hat. You were going to get them? Yeah, how much are they? Oh, see, maybe you could just buy one pipe at a time. No, you can't. And just the bag, just the bag.